Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Last couple of weeks we've been talking about prayer. I told you that we are starting a prayer non-series which sounds silly, but I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know exactly regarding prayer what I intend to say. I don't have a roadmap as I usually do, just so you know. I usually have a synopsis of a series, and I'll I'll write the thesis, what I believe God's wanting to accomplish in that, and then the four or five lessons that, that I'm supposed to preach during that. And I haven't received any of those things. I just feel led by the Spirit to say, we should be people of prayer, what that looks like, why we should, and how we should, and all of those things. And so I'm calling this a, a prayer conversations because I don't know how long it's going to last or exactly what we're talking about until God shows up and tells me, which he He does in time for me to prepare, praise God, um, but not, not as he usually does. But this is the third week we're talking about prayer. Um and it's so important. Can I just, let me just sit here as your friend for a moment, if I could be so bold to call myself that. I want you to have a relationship with the Lord like you have a relationship with your best friend. Because the Lord sent his son Jesus Christ to die so that you could have him as your best friend. Amen. And I couldn't imagine being in a relationship with anyone that I love that I didn't talk to. I believe that God moves when we pray, that God hears our prayers, that his desire is to meet our desire when our desires match his desires. And so we wanted to talk about prayer. I feel led to talk about prayer because if the church is not a church of prayer, it's not a church. If we can't have communion with God, we can't, we can't be a church. We could be a people that hang out on Sunday. If that's what you want, there's plenty of places to do that. But it won't be here. You'll be uncomfortable here. Amen? And I don't mind telling you that because we made a commitment at the beginning of, of planting this church, as many of you know. Whether we had five or 500, if the five glorified God of the 500, we'd be satisfied with whatever number he sent. But that we're here for a purpose. And the primary purpose is to glorify God. And we glorify God as we trust him in prayer. Amen? And so we've talked about prayer for the last two weeks, about how prayer hasn't had to be, doesn't have to be um, big and bold or loud or articulate or long. The, that the shortest prayer recorded in the New Testament is, Lord, save me. But it said everything it needed to say. It demonstrated trust confidence it 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 literally did what it was called out to do which is that person be a peter being saved it was comprehensive so don't allow your prayer life to intimidate you don't let me correct that don't allow my prayer life to intimidate you or pastor leonard's prayer life or pastor rick's or todd's or whoever's praying if you hear them and you're like, man i wish i could pray like that don't don't wish that Pray that you could probably pray like you pray according to the spirit that God has placed in you. Amen? Because he'll honor the sincere prayer. 
And then last week we talked about spirit-led prayer and what spirit-led prayer looked like and what it meant. Because we say all the time, the Bible says, be led by the Spirit in all things, including prayer. And to be led by the Spirit in prayer is to be in submission to the divine will of the Spirit as He guides us in prayer. And we can know that we're Spirit-led in our prayers when we glorify God in our prayers, lift the name of Jesus in our prayers, when it's beneficial to someone other than ourselves, and finally and ultimately when um, it's something we can't let go of. People ask me, I said, how do you know that you're done praying with some, about something? I was like, I'll know when I can't, when I don't think about it anymore. Like, I know that's pretty simple. But if I pray and God's still got a hold of me, and I pray and God's still got a hold of me, and I pray and God's still got a hold of me, he's got a hold of me for a reason because the Spirit's not done with me praying about that yet. So we should be Spirit-led in our prayer life. I'm trying to make this as simple as I can because we mystify prayer when it shouldn't be mystified. It, it is literally a conversation between you and God that, that has great dividends and benefits. Amen? Today I want to talk to you about the intercessory prayer. And as badly as I want to do it in one sermon, I'm going to have to do it in two because I'm coming out of John 17, starting in verse 13, where he starts praying for his disciples. And there's just more information that I can do justice. I can give justice to in one sermon, so I'm going to give it to two. And so here we go. The prayer of intercession. What is intercession in the first place? Intercession is to intervene on behalf of another, to stand in the gap for somebody. When I say I'm interceding for you, it means that I'm standing in the gap for you. I'm praying for you. I'm holding up your hands in prayer for you. I believe that God is willing, capable, and able to answer my prayer on your behalf and that he wants to. And I make that prayer to God through Christ or to God through the Spirit in Christ. Amen? Which means I have all the authority I need to step in on your behalf and join my faith with your faith. We see this mirrored all over in Scripture, intercessory prayer, but two places specifically. Abraham, I'm going to talk, about, talk to you about Abraham first. And Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin that's in that city. And Abraham, because he has confidence in who God is, he says, God, if there's 50, will you not destroy the city? God said, for 50, I won't destroy it. About 40, for 40, I won't destroy it. 30, for 30, I won't destroy it. 20, for 20, I won't destroy it. What if there's 10? If there's 10 righteous, will you save them? And he saved Lot and the righteous remnant out of Sodom because of the intercessory prayer that Adam or that Abraham prayed. You want to know why I pray for my kids? Because I know, and I say, God, what about one? Can you save this one? It's his will that all be saved, come to a knowledge of Christ Jesus, and I know he'll answer that prayer. Amen? Another one is um, Moses in Exodus 32. Moses just received the Ten Commandments. God says, I hear a noise. They realize that the people well, in Moses' absence has collected all the gold in, in the camp, 
and made a golden idol and were worshiping it. And that made God angry, as you can imagine. And he determined to destroy them. First off, I want to talk to you real fast about why he would destroy them. Because they took the blessing God gave them and turned it into an idol. If you'll look back in Exodus, prior to this, as they were leaving Egypt, it says they took the Egyptian gold with them, that they were given these things as a blessing of God. They took the blessing of God and created an idol that they could worship besides God. That would make me mad too. Amen? And so God's determined to destroy them. He says, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses prays this, says this to God. Then Moses entreated the Lord, which means spoke to him, begged of him, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So he glorifies God first. God, you did this. You brought them out by your power, by your strength. And then he said, why should the Egyptians speak, saying, so you're going to cause the, your enemy, their enemy, to speak badly of you. Why would you the, allow the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he, that's God, brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember, and then he starts talking about promises. Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom he swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and all this land which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. And so Moses declared the glory of God and that he didn't want it tainted, declared the blessings of God all of it while interceding on behalf of Israel, and the Lord relented. Man, I would love to think that God would do the same for us. That as we interceded on behalf of someone else, the Lord would relent. That the Lord would send someone. That the Lord would save our lost loved ones, the people we come into contact with that the Lord would watch over, bless, and hold us in, our righteous, in his righteous right hand. You know what? He will. Because all of those things are in his will. And he answers prayer according to his will. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Moses. He did it for Paul. He did it for Peter. He did it for everyone. And he's not a respecter of persons. So he'll do it for you too. But you have to be willing to pray. Amen? Am I talking crazy to anybody? I'm trying to talk slow because we, we do, we all, it irritates me. People go, I'm a, I'm a prayer, I'm, I'm an intercessory prayer, prayer. And I'm like, well, that's great, you should be, you and everybody else. I'm glad you feel motivated to do that, but the whole church should be motivated to do that because the whole church has people they should be praying for. This is our responsibility. It's not for a select few. Intercessory prayer is a gift given unto all men. Anyway, I'm about to get, I'm about to get sideways. I don't want to do that. We should intercede on behalf of others because Jesus intercedes on behalf of us. In verse 13 of John 17, which is where he begins praying for the disciples, 
not just the disciples then, but the disciples now and the disciples to come. He gives his thesis statement. He essentially tells God, this is why I'm praying this prayer to you. He says, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. This is the reason Jesus is praying for his disciples. He said, I'm praying this right now so that they might have my joy. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that why we pray? It should be why we pray, so that we have the joy of God in us, so that others may have the joy of God in them. People say, how am I supposed to rejoice? The Bible says rejoice always. Pray. Pray. Pray in intercession for someone else. I have found that if I pray something for somebody else, God will return it to me. I pray blessings over people, God blesses me. It's, I don't know how it works. It's just God's economy, and it does. God, I ask that you show them what forgiveness looks like. And in that, somehow I find a place to forgive someone else or be forgiven by someone else. It's God's economy. It's how it works. And it makes our joy complete. And then Jesus talks about this. He said, in finding joy, he prays, God, protect them which we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. Sanctify them, unify them, glorify them, and give them a love like I have. Let me ask you a question. If you knew God protected you, that God sanctified you, that means set you aside to himself, you belong to him, unified you all together so there wasn't tension, you truly loved one another, that he glorified himself and will ultimately in the future glorify you and is even glorifying you now so that you might be with him in love for all of eternity. Would you be joyful in any circumstance? Would you? I would be. I am. People ask me, how come you're happy all the time? How come you can smile? World's upside down. 2020 was a tough year. But I didn't see it as the toughest year I've ever had. It was the best year I've ever had. You know why? Because every time that there's a problem, there's a solution to that problem. And God is a solution to that problem. So because there were more problems in 2020 than any other year in my existence, there were more victories in 2020 than any other year in my existence. Because God is awesome like that. Amen? So my joy is complete because I know he protects me. He loves me. He watches after me. He nurtures me. He does all of these things, holds us tightly, and doesn't let us go. And that's what Jesus prays over the church. 14 through 21, which is all I'm going to get to today. He said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. And that's as far as I'm going to get today, probably. So I want to talk to you about the first two things that Jesus prayed in intercession for us so that our joy may be complete. 
I need you to keep this in mind, that our joy may be complete. The world is void of joy. Jesus interceded for our protection. He said this, I have given them your word. That is the truth. God's word is the truth. Would everybody agree with that? I have given them the word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Here's a, here's a principle of Scripture you see repeatedly, normative behavior. The world hated the word. The world will hate you. God, that's, 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 that's kind of stinks. It does stink if we don't learn later on that God's play, praying for our glorification, for our eternal state. So what if the world hates us? If they hate us for telling us, for telling them the truth, then let them hate us. Amen? I die here at the podium, at the pulpit, standing on the truth of the Word of God, if that's what need be, so that people can understand the truth of God's Word, of what's going on in their life, how to solve it, how to fix it, and how all the answers are found here in His Word, led by His Spirit for revelation. This is the truth. I want us to be comfortable with explaining the truth to people, even when it's offensive. People say, you can't say that, Pastor Jim. Oh, I can say that. Not only can I say that, I should say that. I'm obligated to say that. You know why? Because I love you. Because I love the person that's in their sin that doesn't know Jesus. Because I've never hated anyone so badly that I wanted hell for them. Well, after I got saved anyway, because I didn't really know what hell was. But he says they're going to hate you just as they hated me. No servant is above his master. According to the Word of God, if they hate Jesus, who is the truth, who is the Word, they're going to hate us. And that's okay. We need to be okay with being hated. Because Jesus was hated. He's the greatest man ever walked the face of the earth. Amen? I think the greatest, probably not the greatest, a, a great injustice that we do to people is they come up to the altar or they... They have an experience with God at their seat or in their living room or in their car, and they give their life to the Lord. And they tell their Christian friends, hey, I just gave my life to the Lord. And their Christian friends go, man, your life's going to be cake from now on. That's awesome. God's going to take care of you. It's, you don't have to worry about nothing. Three weeks later, their life's still upside down, and they think you're a liar. So how about it we say, instead of, Great, you're never going to have any more problems. How about, listen, I need you to understand that you, your eternity is set, that God loves you, he's going to hold you, he's going to protect you. You're never going to know the taste of death, but the enemy is still real. And if you need help, call me. When you struggle, call me. When you're hurting, call me. I want to be there for you. Because I believe that the enemy doesn't fight against his own, but you're not his own anymore. This is how we should be interceding for one another. Has God interceded? And let me tell you, if somebody would tell me that after I got saved, I would find peace and joy. Okay? I don't mind a fight if I know a fight's coming. What I don't like is a sucker punch, which is what we set them up for when we tell them their life's going to be awesome. 
your eternity is going to be awesome. There's no guarantee your life's going to be good. But it will be blessed either way. Amen? <laughs> I don't know how to take this sermon. Take it for the truth that Jesus Christ interceded because he knew that you'd be hated and wanted, them, wanted you protected. The world is being persecuted at an alarming rate. There were 600, I wrote this statistic number down, 360 million Christians were persecuted last year. That means beaten, having their houses torn down, put in prison, any number of ways. 360 million. So a little less than a million a day. Out of those, 4,761 were killed because they believed in the name of Jesus. That's a big number, but I want you to know this. That's up 60% from the year before. No reason to believe it's not going to go up 60% this year, 60% the next year, because let me tell you, as we get closer to the end, the enemy fights harder because he wants you, but he can't have you because Jesus has prayed and interceded for your protection. Amen? And that brings me joy. That's so good. God's good. But he says this. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He goes, they are going to be persecuted, but I want you to leave them right where they are. You want to know why? Because the world is rotten. The world is dying, and you are the salt of the earth. People say all the time, well, salt of the earth means this and this and this. In that time, salt was a preservative. The world is rotten, and you're the answer to that rottenness through your declaration of the gospel. You want to make sure that it's healthy? You be the salt around it. You want to make sure the darkness is exposed? You be the light in the darkness. That's what you're supposed to be. That's the reason why you're here. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Pastor Jim, you've been talking about gospel conversations for weeks. I'm not going to stop. Because it's essential. Amen? I praise God that he cares enough about me to protect me, to want me protected, to tell me the truth so I can share the truth with others. That brings me joy. But not only does he pray for my protection, he prays for my sanctification. 17 and 19 says this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I love that. As you sent me into the word, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Sanctification. Jesus prays for our sanctification by the word. You know what sanctification means? Some of you all, oh, that's a big word. And I don't mean to talk down to you. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. There's a time I had to look it up. Sanctification just means set aside, holy, made holy unto God. You've been sanctified. You belong to someone else. And what's awesome is that we're, we're set aside to God by the truth of God's word and our acceptance of it. It's by faith that God gives us grace. How do we build faith? By hearing the word, by hearing the word of Christ. So as our faith grows, so also should our sanctification. Amen? 
first, positionally, I'm going I'm to mess some of y'all up here. When you gave your life to the Lord, when you submitted and said, in Jesus' name, I declare you Lord. Believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead. I confess my sin. I turn away from it. You're sanctified right then. You're as righteous as you're ever going to be right then. You are positionally sanctified in Christ Jesus. That was done not by you or anything you can do. That is done by the work and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? You can work, work your fingers to the bone. You're not going to change your positional sanctification. You're just going to work your fingers to the bone. And then there is position or progressional sanctification. That is the taking off the old self, putting on the new self. This is why we need each other. Because that's hard. Pick up your cross. Follow me. That's hard. It says your cross, not my cross, not Jesus' cross, your cross. Because you have your own stuff you're dealing with. And your stuff looks different than my stuff, but you have to die on that cross by, persecu by persecuting your flesh daily so that you might continue to grow in sanctification, righteousness, so that you may be more Christ-like. Our responsibility is to be in Christ and increase in our knowledge of Christ and be more Christ-like because to be a Christian, you should walk as Christ walked. Amen? Am I talking too fast for anybody? So this is very important. What's very important is that we need to understand we need each other for this. Which is why I'm talking to you about it. We should pray for one another. I'm going to, I'm going to give you an illustration. Many people, I've seen a lot of people give their life to the Lord. They're legitimately giving their life to the Lord. Three months later, they're as, worse off, as, better or worse, as bad off or worse than they were. And here's why. The Bible says... If I ask for forgiveness, God is God will perfect correction. If I ask God for forgiveness, he will make me righteous. Right? So I'm righteous. He cleanses me and makes me righteous. Imagine if you would, you have an open wound. Somebody took a sword and just cut across your chest. Wound just flayed open. In the heat of battle, you get junk in it and trash in it and all that stuff, and you ask God, God, cleanse me. And he does. He comes in and he wipes out every germ, every speck of dirt, every problem, every issue. It's clean, but it's still open. Three weeks from now, you're going to have dirt in that again. You're going to have germs in that again. That's why the Bible says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Because as I confess myself to you guys, to the people that I allow to hold me accountable, they hold that flesh together as the Spirit of God assists in stitching it so that it might scar and there might ultimately be healing. We need each other for this sanctification process. We've been cleansed positionally. We need suturing in our progression. Amen? Does that make sense to anybody? But we need one another to do that. So we should be praying for one another to do that. And in it, knowing that I'm more Christ-like today than I was yesterday and tomorrow more than I am today, I should find joy. My joy should be as complete as the joy that Jesus has. And so today, because of the joy that we have, because of the work that Jesus did, before we go, I want to 
I want to take communion with you. I want to remember why I've been sanctified, how I've been sanctified, and who I've been sanctified through. And that's Christ Jesus. As they're passing out the elements, I want you to know that it's Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that saved you. His work that saved you. He is the perfect high priest. He's the one that didn't bring the offering of sacrifice, but was the offering of sacrifice. And that sacrifice was and is perfect and eternal. There was no sin in him to cause up, there was no blemish in him. So his sacrifice, having been perfect but taken on your sin, was able to take the place of your sin and pay the debt that you owed. Isn't that beautiful? When you think that the God, creator, God of the universe decided to come down and take the beating and the death that you deserve so you wouldn't have to, so that we could be sanctified, so that we could be set aside in Christ-like. These elements are two. There's the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus. His body was crushed, according to Isaiah 53, for our iniquities, for our sins. He allowed his flesh to be torn to the bone and nailed to a cross for you to be your replacement, to be your substitution. His blood is the new covenant. That is, there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That's the reason why there was a sacrifice in the Old Testament. It's the reason why he became the sacrifice in the New Testament. But the New Testament means new covenant. Our new covenant is by the perfect blood of Jesus by which we have been released from our sin and the debt of our sin. And I think it's appropriate from time to time to remember such a thing. In fact, we've been commanded to remember such a thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read this. This is Paul instructing the Corinthian church regarding the Lord's Supper because they were taking it hypocritically. They were taking it with the wrong spirit, the wrong attitudes. In verse 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this, many, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So he says, listen, before you align yourself with Christ in communion, you better make sure you're aligned with Christ. There's judgment and hypocrisy. Don't take the broken body of Jesus without having accepted the broken body of Jesus. Don't take the communion wine, grape juice, representative of the blood, if you haven't allowed the blood to work a new covenant in you. Amen? And so I think there should be a time of examination. 
And so we stop and we pray. And I'm going to pray my own prayer, but I ask you to pray a sincere prayer before you take communion. If you know there's sin in your life, ask God to forgive you of that. And he will. If you're not sure if there's sin in your life or you're not aware of the sin that's in your life, ask the Holy Spirit to dig it out of you so you could see it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the covenant, the new covenant, that we no longer have to sacrifice animals. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're, we're going to hell. We know that in you, we have an, a perfect eternity waiting for us, and that brings us such great joy. But God, we don't want to take communion. We don't want to remember what you've done for us with anything in us that stands between you and I. So God, I ask that if there's anything in me that I haven't already asked forgiveness for, by the power of your Holy Spirit, dig it out of me that I can recognize it that I might put it on the cross and walk away from it. God, I ask also that you give me the strength of your spirit that should I fall, by the power of your spirit, you lift me up and point me back to the cross. Thank you for your work, for your covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the life that you gave us, for the prayer that you make over us. Jesus, we praise you for sitting at the right hand of the Father, even now making intercession for us, that you sent your Holy Spirit to us so that we could be provoked to pray and know what to pray. I ask God that you burn a desire into us to commune with you. Not just in the act of communion, but in the act of prayer. Teach us how to lovingly talk to you so that we can hear the beauty of your voice. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.